Welcome to the Franchise Founders Podcast. We are on a mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs just like you take action through franchise ownership, allowing you to obtain more financial freedom, time with family, and ultimately a business that can run on its own without you. Today's a very exciting episode because I've got a new friend of mine, Thomas Scott, someone who's been instrumental in teaching me all things home services, running a home service franchisor and how to build a personal brand better. Really is is just a brilliant leader in this space. He's been in franchising for for longer than I maybe have been alive. And he's uh, he's the the founder of Brand Journalist as well. So he's got this tremendous background in, in lead generation and franchise development websites. And so in this episode today, we get into all kinds of topics from how to build a personal brand and why that's important as a franchise developer. Uh, we get into how to sell to different generations. We've got the, you know, obviously baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, Gen Z, and how the different generations have different buying patterns from subconscious uh, patterns of where how they were raised and what, how they think. And we get into breaking down each one of those and what way to sell to each one of those. We get into what you should be focusing on for yourself and your personal brand as a development director in 2023 and beyond. We talk about the Titus Center and the Selling Franchises boot camp, something that I highly recommend attending. I was just there yesterday and the day prior and it was an incredible event. We go into a ton of exciting things and I'm excited for you to jump in and give this episode a listen. Very excited to have my guest here today, virtually tuning in to the studio, Thomas Scott. Thomas, how are you? Man, man, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be on. This is a, my favorite topic. I could talk shop all day about this topic. I know you're you're passionate about it, and I'm I'm very excited. I actually had a friend of yours in here last week, Ben Woldroff. Uh, I know you guys go way back. Yeah, the, the the macaroon guy, like they've done really well with that business. It started out in Bryant Park and it's just exploded. Absolutely. And uh, I'm really excited to to jump on here and talk all things franchise development, especially around the topics of of personal branding, because I consider you the, the leader in this area um, when it comes to lately, like TikTok and, and digital and everything you're doing. So do you want to start with maybe just giving our our audience a little bit about yourself and your your background? Yeah, you know, I I, I went to journalism school. I didn't get into franchising because I wanted to be in a franchisor. I was a journalist in New Orleans and did some work for the New York Times and the Associated Press, and was a photographer. And um, you know, just in the like late twenties, early thirties, got into franchising. Um, I bought a franchise called Show Homes that was a home staging real estate photography and kind of home prep type business. Um, Had three units. They were the top three units in the system. And then a couple of years later, bought the franchise company out and ended up doing, you know, big entrepreneurial dreams, getting a partner and buying a franchise company. I didn't know anything about franchising like all of us. (laughs) Kind of got into it that way. Um, We grew that to 100 units. Um, That was, I learned every job you have to do as a franchisor to get from, you know, 20 to 100 units, which is really hard back in the day. This is in the early 2000s. Um, I started Brand Journalist. I sold that company, started Brand Journalist, which is a franchise development agency. We kind of grow franchise systems in 2008. 
Um, that system's still going really strong. Um, Jack Monson, our mutual friend, is the CEO of that company. Super excited about this year ahead for them. But they do recruitment websites and help people build sales processes and all the marketing around development and strategy and the targeting for personas. And uh, we've grown, I think, at the latest count, 420-some-odd franchise systems and helped recruit over 12,000 franchisees. And throughout my career, I've been a franchisor of nine different franchise brands. I've got four franchise systems I'm the, the founder and kind of franchisor of today. And that's, that's where I spend most of my time is in the home service space, recruiting franchisees and trying to innovate in that space and, and really um, committed to franchising as a, uh, a path for a younger, whole younger generation of franchise buyers, which is something I'm super excited about. That's fantastic. And so my first question for you, Thomas, is as I've gotten to know you, I've learned that you have kept yourself, you keep yourself on the top of digital trends at all times. Um, you know, in speaking with you, I've learned more granular things that I could do better in my personal branding uh, with technology, cameras, what's, you know, technology to use. And um, how do you keep yourself so sharp on that topic? What What's your secret? Well, Is it you know, it, it, you have to be curious first and you have to really pay attention. And I think you, you actually said this this weekend or this week when we were in Palm Beach, that you go to conferences outside of franchising to learn more about what's going on in the real world. Franchising is a fairly insulated industry, you know, with, you know, it's a pack mentality industry. We we meet and have our own conferences and tell each other what to do and share our own best practices. So I really like um, the idea that you kind of look outside franchising and, and being a journalist makes me naturally curious to start with. But, you know, I, I always tell people in my history of franchising from the late 90s till today, um, there really been three really significant shifts that um, have changed the way we develop franchise systems, how we do recruitment, how we do marketing and lead gen. The first one was in the late 90s, 97, 98, the advent of broadband internet. And all of a sudden, we went as an industry from trade shows and advertising in the Wall Street Journal and, you know, going to the IFE and all the, you know, the, you know like toll-free numbers. <laughs> and it was really hard to, to recruit franchisees. So all of a sudden, you had to have a website and you portals came around and all this information was available to do research and people began to become aware of franchising. And that whole shift from print advertising and PR to digital was a, a real shocker. It took a decade for the industry to come to terms with that. Um, the other big shift I think that's, that you kind of probably remember is just the kind of 2008 to 2010 when, when I started Brand Journalist, also in a recession, the same type of cycle we're in right now where um, the social media platforms began to get traction. And, you know, Jack Monson and I were talking with you. This, we were at a franchise conference in 2009 and we we're saying, no, guys, you really, you should be on Facebook and, you know, like Twitter and <laughs> let's have a, 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 a tweet up and this kind of like, and they just about laughed us out of the room. They're like, I like, like nobody wants to be on Twitter and what's the Facebook anyway, you know, it's a bunch of old guys. And, um, you know, Gary Vee came to an IFA conference a couple of years ago and really chastised the industry for being, you know, really backward thinking in its approach. Facebook is where people are, all people, all ages, all demographics, all financial wherewithal, like anybody you want to reach, you can reach on Facebook. And social media today plays an outsized role in our ability to develop. But if you talk to people in the industry, they're, they're not leveraging it nearly as good. And then the shift that we're going through right now is really interesting. It's the shift where people don't want to talk on the phone. They don't want to fill out a form. You know, the idea, you know, like a Gen Z 
franchise buyer, the idea that they have to have a 45 minute phone call with a 50 year old guy is, is like a painful, <laughs> like they, they'll avoid that at all costs. The fact that they don't want to put um, their information on a form, like they just don't want to talk to people on the phone. The phone's like old people technology. You know, my kids, I have some young kids and they're like, hey, dad, what was it like growing up when it was black and white, when life was black and white? Because that's what they thought what, like, was like when I was a kid. It was everything black and white. <laughs> like the actual world was black and <laughs> yeah, white. Yeah, the whole world's black and white, you know? And so like what, what, that's what the phone is, you know? And so I use pictures of people talking on um, rotary phones with my clients and they're black and white pictures to make that point. Like, look, you, we got to get off the form and we got to get off driving people to phone calls and talking about contact rates. And so this idea of conversational marketing where you're texting and chatting using chatting tools like Slack and faith, you know, Metaverse or Facebook Messenger and the Google Messenger and all the texting platforms that are so integrated with like uh, Client Tether, the CRM that you and I are really fond of. Um, that's a huge shift. Like the primary conversation is text-based and it's it's permission-based and it's you can't talk over each other and you get this chance to go back and read the responses. It's a much, it's a totally different experience. It's what younger buyers expect and demand. At the same time, we're seeing this move to short form video, the vertical video, you know, the, mm -hmm. the 60 second or less video um, on, you know, YouTube shorts, which is their answer to, um, to TikTok, TikTok, um, Google um, and Facebook Reels, all, all those things. And even, you know, even native LinkedIn video, which is a really under kind of thought thing. But this idea of this kind of short form video taking the place of Google, it's the primary place people go to learn about concepts and do research. Like, go ahead. You know, if I want to make a beef stroganoff, I go to TikTok and look up easy beef stroganoff recipes. And that's where I'm doing my research on topics. And if I want to learn about um, a franchise, I go and look and see what's on TikTok or, or YouTube shorts or any of those. And so that's, you know, that's a really different um, way of thinking about how, um, you know, how to recruit leads and how to create awareness of your brand. So it's a, it's a challenging time for franchise systems. I think you asked how we stay ahead as we just are students of it. <laughs> like you, you can educate yourself on all these things, but you got to be willing to let go of some of your kind of tried and true methods that make you successful and really experiment constantly. Because I mean, look at ChatGBT, the AI platform, which I haven't been able to get on for two days. So it's just 50 million people using it at the same time. You know, it started November 30th, and I think they said it had 10 million signups in the first five days. Like, it's there's never been technology adoption faster than that. That's the pace of technology and marketing kind of evolution we're in today. It's it's intense. You, you see that in your business, I'm sure. Absolutely. I I mean, what I'm what I'm seeing in my business is a well. What I'm noticing is that you know, the personal branding and leaning into TikTok and Facebook and Instagram yeah. Reels and all of these platforms. I, I personally, I enjoy making the content. I understand. And I, I know that it's, it's, it's important. And for me, I enjoy it because at my core, educating people on the benefits of business ownership and how it's changed my life and how it could change theirs is, is what I like. It's my passion. Not just yeah. that, you know, I don't care if they ever call me, I make a dollar from it. It's, it's what I like to do. I struggle as we were having this conversation today at the, excuse me, not today. Feels like yesterday. It uh, feels like it was today. Yesterday. It was literally yesterday though. Yeah. <laughs> literally yesterday. And 80 yeah, I, degree I, Palm Beach. It's amazing weather down there. Didn't want to leave. Yeah. Quick plug. I mean, I, Thomas, this was my first time at the, at the Titus Center. Um, and I, I, I knew it was a good event. I, I went, I booked it. I wanted to come. I had no idea how, 
how just incredible. I really, I'm, I'm blown away by it. Honestly, yeah. I, I, I can't believe I haven't gone sooner. Um, what you guys are doing there is, and, John yeah, and, John, is doing and all the credit goes to, to Ray Titus who endowed it and John Hayes in 2016 and 17, this idea that look, we, we kind of start educating, like, you know, if you, up to that point, the only people that were in franchising were people that got stuck, <laughs> you know, I got stuck in franchising. My life took <laughs> some weird turn and ended up in this crazy industry. And now I'm going to be here till I'm 80. <laughs> I'm going to be one of those guys on a platform, you know, a round table or something up on the, the stage. And that's just the way it works. And so, but we, maybe that there's a need to start educating people about franchising in the business schools because they seem to, they don't understand it. They think it's a multi-level marketing system. They, they don't understand how viable of a sector of the U.S. economy it is and how much it affects because everything's franchised. Every sector of American business has some type of franchise component and it's a real valid thing. And we have a labor shortage of talent. We have, you know, and so I mean, it, you know, I've been involved since day one on that, and I, it's one of the best things professionally I've done. Like, I've just been able to, like, I go to speak to the classes. I've recruited franchisees as interns and staff, and um, their students have become my franchisees on a couple of occasions. Like, it's um, Aaron Harper, our mutual friend, was talking about he sold a Patch Boys to one. Like, they're, um, they're some of the most recruited students um, in the country right now in business schools, and they're, they're the most desirable franchise students. And um, what a great program. Like we need one of those. Every really good serious business school should have one of those programs. Like just, you know, it takes a bunch of franchisors willing to get together and and really share like, hey, like, like, like you have this opportunity to be a franchise owner or to work in a franchise company. We want you, you know, and this is a great career path and you can, you know, you know screw a job. <laughs> Jobs are for losers. Like just buy a franchise and be an empire builder. By the time you're 30, you can accomplish unbelievable things because those those young entrepreneurs, and you saw it when you were there, you know, and you, I think you're 30, Aaron, like I'm 52, you know, you're, you're an old guy. <laughs> you're, you're already like out to pasture in that group. You know, they're so young and hungry. It's really I fun. Know. I was, it was a first, honestly, to be candid, it's kind of my first experience of really feeling like, wow, I'm, uh, I'm old, yeah. but no, um, yeah, well, it just gets worse. You'll get bifocals and you have to go to the doctor and start taking medicine. You know, just all downhill from here. <laughs> well, you, you you keep yourself young. I can tell your energy is is probably more than many 30-year-olds in, in your 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 business uh, uh, appetite to continue to grow and learn. And uh, I was really impressed by by Kayla as well. And and you know, I, I think it's it's so cool how you guys uh, are building businesses together and, and, and it, uh, what seems like just really enjoy that, that common bond that you have well, together. You know, it's, I, I have five, I have five kids, um, six kids. I've got five daughters and one son and, um, three of them are really into franchising Two of them. They're too young. Um, but they're, um, you know, I, I'm a big fan of family businesses. Like I, why not start family businesses and why not like create paths for wealth creation <laughs> and career and professional development for your kids. Like, why Why is that a bad thing? <laughs> like, I think it's an awesome thing. Like, my first franchise I bought, the Show Homes franchise, and I ended up being the franchisor of was a family-run business. And so I had that imprinted on me. But, you know, I, you can um, really help kids if they have an aptitude for it and they're open to it. And, and Kayla's, um, you know, she's 24. She's been in franchising since she was 16. Like, at a professional level, she was doing Facebook campaigns and ad campaigns for Sonic when she was 16, wow. like, like just like, that's where she started her career. So she's been a CMO at four different kind of service brands and has onboarded 150 plus franchisees. And, 
you know, she's she's like a juggernaut of her own making, and it's it's really fun to see that. But I mean, you heard her presentation; it's it's intimidating to get up with a room with 150 middle aged franchise CEOs and FD people, people who are who know what they're doing, and just tell them, "You guys are just full of it. <laughs> You're missing the boat." <laughs> I thought it's a really precocious thing that she did, but man, people were eating it up. Uh, you should have her on your podcast. She'd be a great speaker. I would love to. Meet. Yeah. Well, we'll have to we'll have to set set that up. Um, yeah, I mean, when I think about being in that pro, if you were in that program and you're you're just getting out of college and and like your early twenties are the best time to start a business, and because your ability to take risk and to absorb mistakes too, right? And and you know, it's just so much easier to do that at that stage of your life and you can live off a little bit less money. You know, yeah. you know, I remember when I was, I was my first business in like the college age and like, I mean, I, I, I don't know, $50 is a lot of money to have in your, you know, I'd go yeah. to, I remember I was 21. I'd go to the bar with my friends and, you know, have some $50 was like a lot of money to be able to buy some drinks and beers and, uh, and I could continue to build my business and make very little money because it didn't matter. Yeah. And so you, you scrape your knees and you, you, uh, you bump into the walls at that age. And then by the time you're in your late twenties or in your thirties and forties, you're already a seasoned entrepreneur and you probably will avoid the mistakes where the stakes, when the stakes are a little bit higher, when you have a family and, and you know, more commitments. Well, it's um, some of it's a mindset. Um, a big part of it is just what generation you were born into. I mean, we, we are all, whether we like to admit it or not, a product of the era we were born into. And we, we talk about, with clients, generational selling, the difference in baby boomers and Gen X and millennials and Gen Z. There's four really distinct groups of franchise buyers, and they're just radically different in the emotional reasons they look at brands and what they're looking for and how they perceive them. If you explain a brand one way to a body of franchise prospects and they're from all four of the generations, you're likely only going to communicate effectively with one of them. If you're my age, I'm 52, I'm a Gen X buyer. Um, you know, my favorite movies, The Breakfast Club, you know, I associate with the 80s. That's when I came of age. So, um, you know, I look at life in a very distinct way. Like I looked at my parents who were baby boomers, were raised to go to college, to work for one Fortune 500 company for your whole career and retire on a pension. Now, they were very risk adverse. They were taught that there's this one path that involves you going to college because you're the first generation that's been able to do this in mass. And you go get this big, cushy corporate job and you work really hard and pay your dues. And that meant work 70 hours a week. You know, you think about in New York City, all the the finance firms and the brokerages that have those young guys like working like crazy hours. Um, and as a result, you know, for if my age group, we looked at those people and watched them you know, become alcoholics and high divorce rates and mental health problems and go bankrupt and get laid off multiple times. The whole idea of college, this one fictional career and a pension is is a fiction. <laughs> it doesn't really exist. Like nobody yeah. gets to actually do it. We look at even my age thinking like, what the hell is a pension? Like who has that? Like that's not a real thing. Like, and why would you work your whole life? And who wants to work 70 hours in a cubicle and destroy your personal life? And so, um, Whereas a baby boomer would think about things from a real security and risk aversion. Like, I, I don't want to buy this unless I know it's going to make money or I know it's going to be safe. Because uh, I'm definitely afraid of failure because they were taught to follow this really kind of intense line. A Gen X buyer um, of my age is much more concerned with work-life balance. Like, I don't want to have the 70-hour work week. I might work 80 hours a week so that I can go to my kid's soccer game in the middle of the day on Tuesday. 
but everything I do is around work-life balance. And that's how I view all brands. I don't really care what it is I'm doing to make money as long as I can make the money that allows me to buy the freedom that I want. But the freedom is the part that I'm wanting. So if you're talking to those two groups, you have to adjust the way that you do your storytelling. It comes back from my mm -hmm. journalism background. You have to pivot the story. Like if I'm talking to a baby boomer, I have to talk about why it's safe and secure and proven and it's recession resistant and all this other BS. I'm talking to somebody like me and we say, look, this is a great business. You know, if you're, this is not an emergency business, you're going to be able to schedule stuff in advance. You can work when you want to and not, and you can hire people and here's how you scale. And it's, you know, sustainable kind of balanced work-life business. You can really enjoy the things in life that are important. You can take a vacation whenever you want. If you hire people and you got enough marketing and that kind of thing. And then we get to your generation, the millennials who um, are the slackers of the group and get no credit <laughs> at all. Like everybody likes to beat up on millennials because they got a late start and we're the helicopter parent. You know, my, my group, you know, my, the, if we had kids that age, we kind of overparented them um, for because we, we had a rough childhood. You know, Gen X um, are known for being the scary generation. Like they, they just don't give a shit. <laughs> you know, kind of a fun group of people. But, um, you know, like... Uh, Sorry, to Paul, just to, I want, as we keep going down this journey, I didn't mean to cut you off because yeah. yeah, yeah. you, you jogged my memory of something you said. So we understand baby boomers and then you spoke about Gen X and your generation and how yeah. um, basically when it comes to like employees, it's like, you know, the mindset of, you know, just work. I, you know, I told you what, you know, to do and do it. And, and there's a difference. Yeah. In, in, and you're saying that you had, because the boomers were your parents and they were really harsh on you. You did the just opposite. We like enabled the millennials to be, um, you know, not as structured. You know, we kind of, they're like the, the kind of cultural, this is why understanding the era that somebody was born into is so important because they behave in unconscious ways have biases and patterns of behavior and ways of understanding the world around them that really um, make it impossible or possible to understand the relevance of a franchise system. And, and if you can't get somebody to, um, you know, lick the paint off the wall because they're so excited about buying something because they can't understand it at an emotional level, it's you just end up losing deals. So somebody like your age, you guys looked at the Gen X buyers and you said, wow, you know, um, those guys are capitalist pigs. <laughs> like they'll do anything. They don't really, they can have a Twin Peaks or a Hooters or a loan shark business in the hood. They just care about making money so they can go on, on the weekend to their beach house and ride their jet ski or put their kids in private school, whatever it is. You know, and you said, well, we like the work balance, the work life balance, but we also think we want a mission driven business. That's to make the world a better place. We care a lot more about empathy and feelings and making the world better and climate change and, you know, diversity and inclusion and all these other issues, um, you know, there's a whole range of businesses that appeal to millennials that maybe not to older buyers. I mean, like millennials are the number one buyer of home care businesses right now. Like millennials are the ones taking care of baby boomers, you know, because it's an emotionally rewarding business to own. So you just have to know that. And then you get to the Gen X, uh, the Gen Z people, the very bottom, the 26 and younger group now, of which Kayla's um, a great spokesperson for. And they're just built totally different. Like they are, we call them the YouTube generation because they were raised on YouTube. They've never not had YouTube. So they watched, you know, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and the the tech sector and all of the influencer culture. Or the They're like the Gary Vee generation. You know, like they've been taught 
that jobs are for losers and business ownership is where the action's at. And if you're really serious about being successful and creating wealth, um, you know, like that's your business ownership is, is what you do. And in fact, they're so extreme in that there's something like 80% of an aptitude towards entrepreneurship in that generation. They're, they're a demographically very large generation. They're bigger than millennials and I think in Gen X combined, but they're also like three times the entrepreneurial aptitude, which is crazy for the franchise industry. And, um, you know, they, they don't just do one thing. Kayla was onboarding a couple of franchisees at the table yesterday. We were going through some meetings, getting them through trainings. We had some FaceTime and it was a trip. They were like, you know, they were, she's like, well, what kind of businesses do you have now? And they each had two to three things they were doing as side hustles or gigs or and they'd have a job and then they'd have a business and a little side business. And the, the smallest only had two. <laughs> the largest had five. You know, like it was a really crazy. You know, she turned around. She goes, see, this is what I mean. Like your generation, you guys get one thing to make money. And that's the one thing because that's what your parents did. But we think one thing's ridiculous. Like, I don't want to own just one franchise. I want to own multiple units of a franchise. Then I want to, um, like Daniel Plort, one of the kids I was talking to yesterday, he's like, look, I want to get this going. I want to, in five years, have four different brands with multiple units in each one. And he's 22. <laughs> like, he's not messing around. You know, he's got his friend, got a business plan. He's been through four years of franchising school with John Hayes at that program. He's not, he'll win. Like, he's a winner. Um, I'll take every one of those I get. So it's interesting, you know, if you understand those generations, it allows you to recruit better and it really affects the way you market your franchise and the sales skills and the technology you use to engage people. They're just different. And, you know, you, you saw in the room, those guys are so far away from having aptitude for all that. And the most development people are not ready for that. If you're enjoying this episode, please click the subscribe button. And make sure to connect with the Franchise Founders Podcast on LinkedIn. I, I learned so much from this idea, you know, from you, from this at the Titus Center and then today about this idea of selling to different generations. And I yeah. loved everything about it. The only thing that was funny to me was that I learned that, you know, boomers and X hate millennials. And it turns out so does- Gen Z does too. Everybody. Out, yeah, Gen Z. <laughs> yeah, we're universally hated. But I, I my redeem, redemption is that Kayla said that she thinks that I was meant to be, I was meant to be Gen Z. Yeah, I so, think you and I, uh, we should have like, a, I identify as a Gen Z in our Facebook. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I, just, I identify yeah. as Gen Z. Yeah. Um, I pulled that card on her yesterday. I said, I'm a 52-year-old Gen Z. She, she can't do that. You <laughs> are, I though. just did it. <laughs> well, you did you it. can be, yeah. you know, it's it, my one of my best friends is is pretty high up at, at, at Google. He's a, an employee of Google. And yeah. when, when with their leadership or not, he's not the leadership level yet, maybe someday, yeah. but you know, in his role, they have them take these very robust um, tests and profiles and they identify unconscious biases that each individual yeah. has from where they grew up and their situation. It's, it's a, it's a, you can be aware of it and fix it, but it's an unconscious biasy that you have, whether it's about, you know, what, whatever you have. And understanding that and improving it is is important, right? So yeah. you can identify where you came from and your tendencies, but be aware of them and, and improve it or change it yeah. if, if that's, that's your goal. Yeah, you know, it's, it's uh, in addition to generations, uh, the diversity and inclusion, the kind of unconscious bias, which is a middle-aged, mostly white guy. I have Lebanese heritage, but, you know, like... <laughs> 
you know, my, my, um, my kids and their boyfriends were like, we were talking about diversity and inclusion training and, you know, how that sometimes has some negative connotations and it's not always well received, even though I, I really believe that diversity initiatives are so important in franchising to create opportunity for, um, whole groups of people. And as a, as a rule, franchising, um, minority business ownership in the United States is around 12 or 14%, even though the population as the census defined of minority populations is around 30 or 35%. The franchise industry, minority business ownership is 30%. So we're double the rate of outside of franchising. We, we really don't give ourselves a lot of credit for that. But that being said, it's not an either or. <laughs> we, we're just, it's not because we had some altruistic idea that we need to be diverse. We just, we'd like more is more. You know, like, we, like if you um, have the qualities of a good franchisee and you're interested and you're passionate and you can, you have the funds to get started, we want you to be a franchisee. We don't really care. It's like, we're like the army. <laughs> we just care that you can execute the business model. And that's, that's what's important. And you treat people well and you have high ethics and good character and that kind of thing. And so I think, um, that, that the whole diversity stuff is, is kind of a, gets, it triggers some people. You know, some people get really, um, triggered by that, but I think it's really helpful. The unconscious bias part of it, um, I think it's just like um, if you're doing disc training and you're teaching people about personality and behavior styles. I don't know if you've ever gone through any of the disc programs. That's a really helpful thing to learn too. Because guess, guess my profile. Um, a D, you're probably a D. I'm guessing D I or I D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, similar to me. And most of us are in that bucket. You know, you and I would have a great conversation. We could talk fast and skip over a bunch of topics and. You know, somebody who was a banker or maybe an attorney or somebody, a school teacher who fact checks everything was high on the sea would be miserable because <laughs> you couldn't follow the conversation. So becoming aware of your own bias towards your own communication and behavior style will allow you to become self-aware to how to adapt. And, you know, diversity and inclusion kind of unconscious bias is just as important, just like the generation. So those three buckets of things, a good recruiter today has to be able to know what technology to use with each kind of behavior style generation and kind of background. Um, you know, for instance, um, I, I do a lot of food system lead generation and recruitment in the food industry with all different kinds of brands. And the biggest group of buyers in that industry is a buyer we call, for lack of a better name, New Americans. It's second generation immigrant buyers. The parents were from Brazil and South Africa and Pakistan and India and other various places, Korea, and um, moved here and bought um, subways and hotels and 7-Elevens and a lot of like aggressive um, franchise purchases in the 80s and 90s. And their kids, or like my kid, grew up in franchising, just spent their whole career in franchising or have high net worth, really good business acumen. They're fully Americanized. I mean, they're very sophisticated operators, but they come into a typical lead pipeline with a funny or ethnic last name and there's an out of sync, like they get dismissed mm -hmm. and uh, people put stereotypes around them and yet they make up 55% of the food purchases. Lori Osley at Sonic, I don't know if you know Lori, she went to Cordova, but she's an inmate, one of my favorite recruiters in the food space. She's an awesome recruiter, told me a story about um, a young man who's 21 who opted in to Sonic, um, you know, 10 or 12 years ago and said, hey, Lori, I really want to own a Sonic. And he has a, I think he was Pakistani or Muslim of some kind. And um, she talks to everybody. One of the lessons I learned from her is that you have to treat every lead as a real human being with real goals and aspirations. And that's the trick to not have a bias. It's just to be uniform. <laughs> Talk to everybody exactly the same. Don't make up stories about your leads. Don't make up narratives 
and bring your own ridiculous baggage into a sales conversation because you'll just kill deals. That's all you do as a recruiter. And she said she talked to him. And she goes, look, I would love for you to have a Sonic. Um, you, ha- you have to buy seven of them. <laughs> you have to have a million and a half liquid and a five million minimum net worth. And at 21, you're pro- just honestly probably not there <laughs> today, but I don't want to scare you off. If you really are serious about it, <clears throat> here's my advice. Go to work at a, like a sub-franchise, like a franchise version of a sub-shop and become a manager, which is not hard to do because they're always looking for talent. Learn how to manage a P&L, learn how to manage food and labor costs and do that for two years. Get two years of P&L management experience where you can demonstrate as an operator that you can produce profit and manage labor and food costs. Buy a sub-franchise as your next step and then get to where you own three of those. So have two years of operations experience and two years of multi-unit at a low entry level, sub franchises, which are easy to buy, you can buy underperforming ones for pennies on the dollar and just, you know, prove that you're, you've got, now you've got four years of experience. At that point, you're bankable and you have a resume and people will invest in you. And you can often get, become an operational partner with an investment group that wants to open Seven Sonics. They're looking for somebody like that. And so today, right, he's right. 32 or 33, he owns 52 Sonics in Houston. He's one of their largest and most profitable operators in that system. But it started with that conversation 12 years ago by not dismissing somebody. It's like literally that simple. So that's, I thought that was a fabulous, one of my favorite franchising stories I've ever heard. Yeah, I think it, it talks to like, <clears throat> you can accomplish so much in five or 10 years when you plan yeah. And sometimes that means to get to that five, 10 year plan, your steps in the beginning, maybe not be what you want. They're not that be a lot of people want to get to the end goal yeah. sooner than, you know, than the steps they need to take, but they'll get to the end goal faster. They go to the area and start like they, like in that area, I'm sure that yeah. person at first, when they hear that advice seems a little bit like they, they're taken back. They don't want to do that. But five years later, they end up accomplishing the end goal because they did the right steps in the beginning. Well, you know, it's, I think we, um, one of the things, one of the shifts that I think we have to do as an industry is we have to start positioning franchising of any kind as a path of professional development. And that's what Lori did in that call is she laid out a professional development. That's what I do on an onboard a franchisee. I say, look, where do you want to be in three years? You just said five or 10 year goal. Like, I think that's really long. <laughs> I try to get people, especially Gen Z buyers to think shorter. Like, let's think in three, six and one, three, three months, six months and one year. Anything longer than one year when you're just starting out is kind of just fictional stuff. So, but you can affect change in three years and six months and one year and try to get them to where they're opening a second unit in a 12 month period and they've made back their investment in the franchise. And that just comes through really careful pro formas and onboarding that stretches out through the whole year. And just like Lori did, she laid the path out for the person in a professional development path and said, hey, if you have questions, keep talking to me. Like, I'll coach you along this way. I'd love for you to do this. You'd be really good at it. And giving them some positive kind of reinforcement of their idea that they can do it. And I think that's something that franchises excel at. It's something that we're unusually good at and um, substantially different from a startup business because in a startup business, it's lonely. I mean, you just started one up. You're working in a co-working space. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's like it's tough. You know, like you don't get a lot of positive feedback. You got to reach out to other people. In a franchise system, you're surrounded by a community of like-thinking people who care about you. And we're all in the same business and we're all on the same team. And we have a flag to rally around. And I think it's a really wonderful thing because you can take a young person and make them an unbelievable entrepreneur by the time they're 30 if they start when they're 22. 
I think I think what you said is is really helpful to um, taking away generational Gen Z, Gen X, millennial. Yeah. Let's just talk for a second about age of the person buying age, whether they were 22 now or 22 in, you know, in the eighties, um, there are patterns to just age, right? So I'll give you an example. When I was nine years old, summertime, those three months felt like forever, right? And you think about it, three months divided into 12 into nine, it's like three months was a big part of an, of my life. It was a, from a percentage standpoint, three months. Right. And as you get older, uh, I, at least in my opinion, it's interesting what you just said, because my brain can think now in five, 10, 20 year increments. And I know that five years is very little at 30, 30 to 35 is going to go like that. It's just the reality. But when I was 22, if you were to tell me, Dan, if you do X, Y, Z in five years, you'll be so successful that I would think like, I can't do that. That that's that's just that's way too long. With five years, I, I got to be six. I'm 22. I gotta I gotta accomplish something, and right. you know, so I'd have to see a much shorter path, like you just mentioned. And so yeah. it's interesting because if I uh, taking your advice, if I was doing franchise development right now, talking to a 22 year old, I said in five years from now you could be here. They're gonna look at me like you're you know you're a loser. <laughs> well, yeah. I need. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they might look at you anyway because you're a millennial. They might just think that this unconscious bias of a Gen Z <laughs> towards a millennial. But they like, but they like Gary V. They like Gary V because he, he like it kind of what I've really, I mean, he's a great role model for us. And I mean, he's, he's, I love that he just gives recipes away and says, this is really, guys, this is not rocket science. Just do this, this, and this. And if you really yeah. do follow a lot of what he says, it works. Um, I've certainly altered a lot of the way that I do business around some of his thought and it's really wonderful stuff. But, but I do, I do think that, um, and one of the when I got married, one of the pieces of advice my my father gave me when I was I was young it was before I got married twenty one twenty two he said, "Look, you know, you need to travel. Don't have kids right away when you get married because the damn neighborhoods get married in their early mid twenties. Now everybody gets married much later if they do get married at all. And um, he said, "Don't have kids. Don't rush to go into this traditional life and have kids and get started. Spend four years traveling. Go go abroad. Go see the world. You know with." Just go experience life you know, outside of your comfort zone. Because when you're young, even though you don't have a lot of money, you're able to experience things at a really formational level and it affects you. And if you, you you soak it up in a way that when you're 50 and you go travel, you want to stay in the Sheraton and eat in the buffet and be comfortable. <laughs> you're not as open <laughs> to all those experiences. You know, like it's fun. So it's much, you know, I enjoy traveling now as much as I did when I was younger. But um, I, I mean, the, my trips I took in my early 20s are like seared in my brain and they're, they're amazing life experiences. They're some of the most valuable experiences mm-hmm. I have. Owning a business in the early twenty, in your early twenties, you have a fearless, like high energy level. You're not you, like f- f- failure isn't even a thing. It doesn't matter if you yeah. fail. Like you can. I was telling yeah. Kayla, I was like, look, Kayla, like your twenties don't really matter. You won't even remember what happens in your twenties. She goes, "How is that possible?" She got kind of mad at me. I was like, "Well, just trust me. <laughs> Thirty years from now, you you." All whatever is important now, you're not going to. You'll remember um, starting this business, and you'll remember getting up and speaking to these people, and the fear that you had, and the nervousness, and how you conquered it, and uh, you know that's where you form who you are as an entrepreneur and a business owner. Those kind of things, and so I think, again, franchising has an unbelievable way to roll out this professional development path. If the franchisor is interested in that, you know, it's a shift because we were just selling franchises and teaching people the model. 
and then leaving them alone to do their own thing. And now we're saying, look, I'm going to, I'm going to get you in this business when you're in your early twenties and I'm going to help you get to eight units. I'm going to make, I'm going to grow my own multi-unit owners, one owner at a time, one unit at a time. And if I have a thousand units in my four systems, half of them are going to be internal expansions from people that I put the time and effort into and built the relationships with. And that's a cool thing. I think we're at a really unique thing. I often say like, in 24 and 23, 2023 and 2024, it's very possible that more people will buy franchises than have bought in the entire history of the franchise industry. We're in that kind of a shift right now if we'll wake up and take advantage of it. But I mean, you saw the group. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's some heavy lifting to get these guys to wake up and it may just take new blood. It may have to just get younger, right thinking kind of recruiters in that kind of understand how to connect the way Kayla did um, with that audience. Yeah, and you know, we're coming up. I know we're coming up on our, our time, but um, something you said that really interested me that what I learned in franchise development, if you're a franchise development director, a lot of times you're, you're talking to people about owning their own business day in and day out. Yeah. Forget a job. They don't care about you. Well, go for a business. Think big, take the risk. And what I found is that because, and it makes sense, right? You're all day long talking about this idea of becoming an entrepreneur and business owner. All of a sudden you start to say, wait a minute, I want to be an entrepreneur and business owner. And you see a lot of franchise development professionals, whether they already came from owning franchise, but usually I would say like, I don't know the percentage, but you see so many times end up buying units and doing both, right? They have their units while yeah. they keep doing development. What what I've learned, and I think it's important in like, in my in my company, what we're building is I understand what it's like to work at a company and and really, but still believe it, like still own it in your heart and in your mind and work with an owner's mentality. I've been in those shoes. And so what we're doing on the friend dev side that I think, you know, if someone's listening to this, I think it's it's it can be helpful, especially if you're structuring as a young franchise or if you're structuring a development team. My vision for what we're doing is large enough that I can fit pretty large visions of my team inside of that vision. Meaning, to give you an example, our development, you know, I believe development directors bring so much value to the organization. They're bringing in the candidates. I don't care if the franchise development director is higher paid than everyone in the organization because they're bringing in when it's, you know, based on on revenue or franchise fees, of course. But to me, it's it's an incredible expense, uh, not an incredible expense. It's a worthwhile expense that's, you know, fine because you're bringing in enterprise value. But what I've learned is they're also bringing on in, in enterprise value that's longstanding. And when that business, if it's ever exited or you know sold, they should share in that because now you've got this development director who not only, you know, who's actually part of your business there. They own part of that business. They're a shareholder in your company. And obviously you have to do everything properly with the legalities of, of franchise laws. But yeah. what, what are your thoughts on, on something like that? Well, you know, it's, I think there are multiple ways to grow a franchise system today and um, certainly having high paid kind of commission based or, you know, really highly incentive people. I mean, um, well, you know, one of the things we heard over this last week was that FSOs and but the big platform brands and neighborlies and, uh, you know, like the big Belfours and the group like that um, are, are really sucking 80 or 90% of the broker capacity. So like there's a handful of us that can do broker deals in mass, um, but it's getting fewer and fewer. <laughs> like it's just, just there, you know, there's only so many good brokers and there's only so many people in those channels and that that's really not the option that it used to be. So having 
a talented um, development director that can drive franchise growth and, and match that with really smart marketing and the ability to generate interest and create demand. And that's where personal branding is playing an outsized role today of, you know, we're in this influencer kind of culture now. And you really think about it is that to give these Gen Z, they're, they're, they think about things in terms of influencers. There's somebody with a very niche, um, super, super niche um, um, subject matter expertise in a particular area. And, and that's, that's what they're looking for. And so if you're going to grow a brand, like if, if, you know, where our friend Aaron Harper has a pressure washing brand that he just acquired, I'm really excited for him to see what he did some great stuff at Pat's Boys. It's going to be great to see what he does. But he's got to almost come off as, a, as a Tommy Mello, I think is the service guy that you see on TikTok that's a, that's an influencer about running service businesses. Aaron has to step up and be that guy <laughs> about that brand and that industry and why business ownership school and what they do. And, you know, every CEO or big kind of prolific development director is going to have to start building personal brand. They're going to have to invest, it's going to become a retainer based thing that any serious person invests money into. Like it's, it's not easy for the average person to do themselves. Um, you do a lot yourself. I do a ton myself and I've got an agency that does it, you know, and it's still a lot of work, but the coaching through the idea of doing what Gary V says is you got to produce, you know, no less than 30 videos a month, a month and a podcast and have it on seven platforms. And like, that is just like, he's literally got some guy following him around with a camera. Like we were talking yeah. about, yesterday. you know, like it's like, we, like that is how you create demand going forward in this industry. And then matched with kind of high recruitment websites that tell stories. I think in some systems, the the structure of the content and the marketing strategy can take the place of that highly paid development director if you're really sophisticated about it. But that's a ten or fifteen thousand dollar a month expenditure for a small franchise company to do it right. Like you just you want to get from zero to 150 units and have a five to ten million dollar valued home service franchise. It's going to take that amount of investment and marketing and structure to do it. There's no shortcut. There's no way around that. And brokers are just not an option for most people today, like they were five years ago. Yeah, you know, Aaron, Aaron, if you're listening, yeah, get going, buddy. No one's kidding. Um, yeah, I was uh, just chatting with him right before the call about about this uh, topic. I was like, man, you got to like check this out. Let's do this, do this. Like, yeah, do it yeah. Like you know, your, yeah. your friend, the um, horsepower brands guy, I can't think of his name, deals with... Um, Josh Skolnick? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's one of my role models. Like, like I've like, totally tuned in to what he's doing on TikTok. Everybody should look at that. That's an extraordinary example of how a broker or consultant should create their own brand awareness and attract leads. And, you know, he has his email in his TikTok profile and he gets a couple of emails a day from his stuff. Oh, you're... You're referencing Christian Dadalak. He's a franchise Dadalak. consultant. He's a really yeah. strong consultant with the with the uh, with the IFPG. Yeah, he he's always wearing horsepower, which is another fantastic you know organization. Yeah, I always understand wearing- the connection, but he's got a horsepower shirt on. Yeah, I, I think he just loves horsepower brands. He must show yeah. a lot of their inventory because he's always. I joke around. I'm like, you look like you you, you might as well just moved to Omaha and work work. There. I mean, a good case in point, though. Like, so you you get into his <laughs> brand awareness and you like what he has to say, and he's explaining. Here's what EBITDA means, and here's yeah. the franchises you should look at. Here's what you should evaluate. He's got really great, very, very thoughtful content, but you're going to get steered to horsepower because <laughs> that's what that's what FSOs are doing now. Like, yeah, maybe he's, maybe he's doing it. Maybe it's on pur- purpose. But um, you know, I I will say that um, what I'm hearing from you, Thomas, is you know, if I was hiring a, what 
currently, like if I'm going to hire a franchise development director now, currently in 2023, they need to have a, one of the reasons you're hiring, one of the reasons they're paid so much money is because of the value they bring in their franchise fees. But where is that coming from? It's coming from the deep, intimate respect and relate relationship and respect they've built with brokers. They come with a book of consultants, yeah. right? That, that trust and admire them and are going to follow them to whatever brand that they put their belief into. Um, but what I I'm hearing and what I'm se seeing is that in, in a year or two years from now, or, or even now it's going to be, Hey, forget not only your broker relationships, what is your personal brand platform look like? Right. If I was a development director right now and you know, Thomas, I'm, I'm, it takes a lot of effort. You're right. Like this morning I woke up and it's Saturday morning. I'm thinking to myself, I just got home last night from Titus center. Like there's plenty of things I'd like to do with my day. And yeah. this takes work. I, you know, I enjoyed making content, but it's still work. Like it's going to take most of my day today, you yeah. know, but if yeah. I was development director, I'd go right away. I'd go make a ton of, I'd, I would, I would make that my value. So the next time I want to move to an organization, I could say, look, well, yeah. Yeah. You know, like you, you have to budget for it. Like I have a one or two hour block. I mean, I have it structured where I block, where I record content, either it's a podcast or I just do short form videos. That's become a kind of part of my week as a, a founder and a CEO of a brand. Like that's just part of it. And the, the handful of people, and it is literally, I can count them on one hand of people that understand this concept and execute it are so much more valuable in the market than people who don't. And I think you'll see a shift. We were, um, I have a really good recruiter, Kendall McGowan, who works with us. And I don't know how long I'll be able to keep him. <laughs> you know, I love him. He's been with me for a while. But as we expand, I was talking to some of those um, kids in that program yesterday thinking, you know, like if they had the the marketing behind them, would they be a better development director for this new generation? Are they able to relate and communicate and use the right tools and understand the marketing kind of obstacles they're going to have to with? We may be at this point in history where we need to think totally differently about who is and isn't a good recruiter and what does that really look like. Like, it's yeah. kind of an interesting time. You know, it's going to be fun to see what happens in this next two year period because it's, you know, I love recessions. Like, I'm like, well, one guy in the room, it's like, it's a franchise or a recession is like, our, we love recessions, can never waste a good recession because the down market just creates massive interest in business ownership. And, um, you know, franchises are nimble and can innovate and be more structured than a, a independent business and that we just thrive in that environment or the whole industry thrives. So it's good time to be franchising right now. Yeah. I'm, I'm determined myself to have a, a younger mind involved in the, the thought contributions to development yeah. so that we can, we can, catch you're, that. you're doing good. You and Aaron are doing great. Like you're, you know, you would be on my list of five or six people <laughs> that I'm talking about. Yeah, but like, no offense know. to that. That that means the bar is not high. I want to take, let's take the bar that is bar. not high. Yeah. For sure. The bar is not really high, but you could keep doing what you're doing. You and I talked about a lot of strategies over the week. You could do 10% of that and you would move the bar up. That's all it takes. Thomas Scott, incredible guest. Thank you so much for, for joining um, if you are a fan of this podcast, Franchise Development Playbook Podcast, please, of course, like, hit the uh, the review button, the star button, give us some some love, and thank you for tuning in. Thomas, thanks again for, for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. Enjoyed it. Keep it going. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. If you want our help with anything from buying a franchise to franchising your business to anything in between, shoot us an email at franchisefounders at gmail.com.